let's begin our devotion with a word of prayer. May the words of my mouth, O Lord, and the thoughts of all the assembled hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our Lord and have become our salvation. In your most holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Well, tonight as we look at this uh, issue of being disrespected, uh, we see Jesus' reaction to the disrespect that um, religious leaders had and mercenaries had for something that God had set aside as sacred, a place where he would place his name, and Jesus would have none of it. It's about the clearing of the temple uh, that occurs in John chapter 2. It's found elsewhere in the Bible as well. In fact, Matthew gives us some insight into uh, the real reasons for Jesus' upset. But we're going to read from Luke cha- or John chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. And there they stayed for a few days. That was really pretty far north of the Sea of Galilee. That was um, on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. He'd have to come all the way down the Jordan and then come up to get to Jerusalem. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus um, went down the Jordan River and then up, it's quite a, a rise from the river valley, up to the city of Jerusalem, which was some distance away. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords, and he drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers, and he overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs that he was performing and they believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person's heart. John chapter 2, verse 12. An interesting passage. Uh, in John, it occurs pretty early in his gospel. There are some who believe that he cleared the temple more than once. This appears to have happened early in his ministry. And then we also know that later, when he came in uh, riding on the the colt, the foal of a donkey, uh, in that triumphant Palm Sunday entrance, 
that he then went up and also cleared the temple. So perhaps he did it more than once, or John doesn't really care about the chronology of it, and he just tells the story uh, in a place that he wants. Nobody knows for sure. But clearly, Jesus was upset that temple worship was being disrespected, and he would have none of it. Now, in modern day, and in fact, in most churches, this story is often quoted uh, against any decision by any congregation to sell anything, uh, especially on Sunday. You know, you got uh, money changers in God's house again. You know, it's a house of prayer. Uh, You have made it into a den of thieves. And uh, I know a few years ago, when we put the uh, giving kiosk in the lobby, there was an uproar. And uh, I kind of like that, that people are concerned and they have passion about their church and they want things to be right and not be wrong. And uh, they thought, here we got money changers, we got ATMs in our lobby. And that seems contradictory to this passage and uh, other references. When in fact, it's not an ATM machine, you cannot get change from that machine. It's simply a means by which people can make their offering. You know, so many young people today, and, uh, and so many of us not-so-young people just don't carry cash. We don't even carry checkbooks anymore. Everything is done with either a card, plastic, or a bank uh, transfer. It's all digital. It's changing even more and more uh, as you move down in generations, and so we just thought that was an important thing, and it's proved to be true. Nearly 40% of, of the offerings that are made to this church today are made through digital means and not through... Uh, the actual placing of cash uh, in a plate. And it really doesn't matter. What matters to God is the heart. But this passage is quoted for such things. You know, if they, uh, if they have a raffle for a quilt or, or uh, they do anything, sell tickets to even a Christian concert in the lobby, we always had to deal with that question. When in fact, that's not really the issue here. It's, it's not the buying and selling of things for offerings, in fact. Uh, that was even required according to the Old Testament. Uh, in the Pentateuch, in the book of Deuteronomy, which stands for the second giving of the law in the fifth book of the scripture, uh, the Bible even says, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year so that you may eat the grain, the new wine, or the olive oil, and the first fruits of your herd, your flocks, in the presence of the Lord. As they brought their offerings down to Jerusalem as a part of their tithe, as a part of their offering, uh, they would present it to the priest and the priest would present back to them a portion that they would sit down and they would have fellowship with God that way. They would actually uh, eat a meal there uh, as the rest of their offering was either set aside for the support of the temple uh, or some of it was actually sacrificed uh, on the uh, altar that was there. And so there were three things that were going on. Some set aside for the support of the temple, some eaten by the people, and some actually uh, burned in an offering. But then in Deuteronomy 14, it goes on to say, but if the place that has been designated by God, remember he had not chosen Jerusalem yet, he would, but if that place is too distant for you, and you have been blessed by the Lord, but you cannot carry your tithe because the place that the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away from you, then you can exchange your tithe where you live for silver, and you can take that silver with you to the place the Lord your God chooses to put his name, Jerusalem, uh, and you can use that silver to buy whatever you need. You can buy at the temple uh, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, anything you wish, then you and your household can still make your offering to the Lord. 
So instead of carrying their sheep and their cows great distances to go and make worship, uh, they could sell it, they could bring the coin, and they could purchase uh, the offering in Jerusalem. That's why people were there. They were actually doing a godly thing to sell these things. What was upsetting to Jesus was not the practice of selling things for offering. What was upsetting is, according to Matthew, they were doing it in the courts of the Lord. They were not doing it uh, near the gates or outside the gates of Jerusalem. Uh, because of graft and corruption, they had actually paid the priest, and the priest had allowed certain people special favor so that they were actually making sales within the place established for Gentile worship or for woman's worship. See, they didn't desecrate the place where the Jewish men would go and worship. They said, well, the Lord doesn't really care about women, doesn't really care about Gentiles anyway. You can have these prime places. And that's what upset Jesus that a place designated for worship was being used for the buying and selling of offering. In fact, um, God is concerned when anyone is disrespected and not allowed to worship. He has come to be the Savior of all people. Everyone is welcomed into the presence of the Lord. In fact, Paul made it very emphatically uh, true when he said to Timothy... I urge you then that you would make petitions, prayers, intercessions for all people and also for kings and those in authority that we may live in a peaceful and quiet place with all godliness and holiness. This pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And this is what so upset Christ, is that people were being disrespected, people that were seen as not important in the sight of those who were uh, seeking graft and corruption and selling these places of worship uh, that were intended for the Gentiles and also for the women. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter what sexual orientation. It doesn't matter even what faith. Whether you are Muslim or Jew, you are welcomed in God's presence. God wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He welcomes everyone to come and listen to what he has to say. He welcomes everybody to come and hear his truth and weigh a better understanding of his love for all mankind. He will not deny anybody the opportunity to come into his presence. That doesn't mean that we're going to alter or, or uh, compromise what we teach. We're always going to teach the truth. But those people who have not heard what it is that we believe on the basis of Scripture are welcomed in this place. I remember a few years ago, uh, because pastors here don't necessarily dress in robes or, or, or clergy collars, I was in the lobby and our microphones aren't always obvious and sometimes we don't even have them on prior to the service. I remember I was in the lobby and, and there was a, a custodian that was also working the lobby and, and uh, there are a lot of people that come into church that, that I just don't know very well. And uh, I said to him, I said, isn't it amazing how people are being drawn to the Lord in this place? And he said to me, Pastor, but do you know what these people believe? He said, if you just walked through the parking lot and you looked at their bumper stickers, you'd be amazed at some of the things they promote. And, and I remember saying, so where would you like them to be? Where would you like them to go? Wouldn't you want them to be here? Wouldn't you want them to come and check out the things that they believe and square them with the word of God or at least be challenged? We should be thrilled that they are here. 
And we're not here to argue in you into the faith either. We're, we're just here to share with you what we believe for your consideration. Jesus never argued anybody into the faith. Now, even when Nicodemus, who was a part of the San, Sanhedrin that would eventually condemn Jesus to death, uh, came to Jesus, he came to Jesus at night, remember? Uh, uh, because uh, Jesus was not respected by his peer group and, and he didn't want to be condemned because they were already condemning Jesus. And he came in John chapter 3, it tells us, he said, you know, Lord, I know that you must, he actually called him rabbi, teacher, a, a term of respect. I know you must be from God because no one could do the miracles you do unless God is with him. And then Jesus said, you know, uh, no one can even enter the kingdom of God. You know, unless he is, uh, you know, born again of water and the Spirit. And Nicodemus, and he had this conversation, and he challenged Nicodemus' thinking. And Nicodemus wasn't converted on the spot, and Jesus didn't chase him down the street demanding that he would agree with him on that moment. There's a scripture that says, you know, some plant, some cultivate, some water, and some harvest. This was not a time for harvest. This was just a time for sharing. And Jesus allowed him to go his way. But he also welcomed him into his presence. And that's what any church that bears the name of Christ ought to do, a Christian church. They ought to welcome everybody to come and ask their questions and share the truth as we know it. And we know that later Nicodemus became a Christian. Nicodemus was one of those men who used his wealth to prepare a place for the laying of the body of Christ. And it says he had become a Christian, although secretly for fear of his colleagues. So uh, the first thing that Jesus uh, was upset about was the disrespect that, that the church showed for various kinds of people. Uh, he would have none of that. He loves all people equally, those far from him and those close to him. Secondly, he was concerned that they had taken something sacred and, and they had set up a system that was contrary to the purpose of worship. They had established ritual over relationship. And Jesus will never allow us to believe that that is the purpose of worship. People worship differently, don't they? You know, some prefer the more traditional worship. Some prefer the contemporary forms of worship. Some prefer, in fact, most of our missionaries worship under a tree or in any public place that they can gather. There is no right way to worship. In fact, Jesus was upset when people forced tradition on other people that was not found in the Bible. When they made tradition and they made their worship practice equal to the idea of drawing close to the Lord. He said, you nullify actually the intention of God and you do it for the sake of your own personal preference. You are hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Some years ago, our congregation was involved in, in work in Kenya. In fact, we called it the Teams Ministry, the East African Mission Society. And we worked closely with, uh, actually, it was kind of an interesting uh, relationship because we worked closely with a couple other churches here but then we formed a relationship with the Norwegian Lutheran Missionary Society that was working in the, the, the uh, northwestern portions of Kenya across the Rift Valley, the Tukana and the Pokot people. And there is a formal Lutheran church of Kenya, but Leif Tingbo, who became like a brother to me, was leading that effort uh, to reach people in this uh, very distant part of Kenya. Um, 
ask that he could teach the people about the Lord through their means of worship, uh, which was the use of drums. And the church was having none of it. And, and they would not, they would not uh, uh, sanction his ministry. Uh, it didn't keep him from doing it because he says it's wonderful to listen to how they sing their songs. They do it all with percussion. Now, the, uh, the sanctioned Lutheran church in Kenya was actually translating Reformation hymns into Swahili and teaching people who had never heard an organ before to sing to that instrument. And it was just such a strange sight to see people who otherwise were using drums and, and singing their chants to try to learn uh, such a different culture and, and try to worship uh, our God using our traditions and not their own. Leif didn't think that was correct, and, and he was absolutely right. Uh, he had a 10-year uh, a plan. He had eight Christian missionaries from Norway and our support. And uh, at the end of 10 years, he left 135 churches led by native Christians in that place. And he is no longer there. They are leading their own churches. Incredible thing. Incredible thing that he did. And uh, I went with him out into the... Uh, out into the uh, sticks uh, to establish and to preach the gospel to these people. And they would come from everywhere. They heard we were coming, they would come. And there were no roads. We would just take a Land Rover and we'd go through the creeks and, and uh, across uh, the terrain. He knew the area well. He spoke Swahili himself. And uh, he would just go and preach and people would be gathered to him. And then they would sing. And they would sing uh, with their drums and they would sing kind of a kind of a first century chant, almost like the Old Testament, like you would hear a man leading the Psalms, only they would sing songs like, our cattle are so beautiful, and all the people would repeat, our cattle are so beautiful, and our sheep are incredible, and they would just, and God has watered the earth, and God has watered the earth. That was their usual way of singing. It was kind of a, a chant and a response. But after he began to preach the gospel to them, they would go, our God is so beautiful. Our Savior is so great. He loves us so much. He sent his son. And the people would sing that. In fact, I remember it because uh, occasionally we would be so far removed from civilization, no electric lights or anything, we'd just uh, sleep uh, out in a tent uh, or in one of their huts if we got so far away. And uh, they would ask us if we would bring their sickest people that were about to die back to civilization so they could receive medicine. He, he brought some with him, but some people were beyond what he could do. And so they would pile into the back of the Land Rover and they would, they would sing these songs and he would just look at me and he would just smile because you know, they're singing scripture. And, you know, that was the way. God isn't interested in a form of worship. He's inter interested in a relationship. In fact, you remember when Jesus had that conversation with the Samaritan woman, a woman despised from a despised race uh, in the time of Jesus, uh, she said, I perceive that you are a prophet because he told her, uh, you know, you are right to say you do not have a husband. You've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. She said, I can see that you are a prophet. You know things that I haven't told you and no one else has revealed to you. And then she asked him a theological question. She said, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place we must worship, you know, tradition, what's right, what's wrong. That's what she thought worship was. You must worship in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus said, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. It won't really matter. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation comes from our faith. Yet a time is coming and now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
Those are the kinds of worshipers that the Father speaks. It isn't about your form, and, and God doesn't care that you have preferences. That's, that's fine that you have a preference for a certain kind of music or a certain style of worship. That's not wrong, but please don't claim it's equal to, uh, to worship. True worship is that which brings you into relationship with God, no matter how that happens. You know, we have uh, chosen for this place that our worship will always be biblically sound. We won't compromise the word just to gather a crowd. We're going to teach the truth, whether it's popular or not, biblically sound. It's going to be culturally relevant. So what was relevant necessarily for a generation in the past isn't culturally relevant for a generation today, and it will be outwardly focused. It will always be about those who aren't here, not just to placate or patronize the people who come here. You know, we're going to expect the people who come here uh, will be mature enough to say, this isn't about me. I am blessed by being here. I'm blessed by the teaching, but it's about reaching lost people. That's the mission of Christ. So Jesus was disrespected. Uh, first of all, it was, it was upset that they disrespected the kinds of people that came, and then he was upset that they disrespected the intention of God in worship, which was about relationship and not rules. And then finally, I think it's fascinating, this final section where uh, Jesus, at the conclusion of this section, uh, John says, now while he was in Jerusalem at Passover festival, many people saw the signs and the miracles he was performing and they believed in him. You know, it was a time of popularity for Jesus, but Jesus wasn't impressed for he knew the hearts of people. He did not need any testimony about uh, him from mankind for he knew what was in each person. You know, Jesus didn't care whether people favored him or whether they disrespected him. It didn't change anything about his ministry. It didn't matter whether they disrespected him or whether they lauded him, you know, as the promised Messiah. His eye was on the prize. His focus was on his purpose, and that was to accomplish the salvation of all people, whether he was liked or whether he was not liked. It reminds me of the poem If by Rudyard Kipling, if if you remember it. It's it's just a classic, one of my favorite of all uh, poems that has ever been written. He says in the poem, if you can talk with crowds and yet keep your virtue, if you can walk with kings but not lose your common touch, if neither foe nor loving friend can hurt you and all men count with you but not too much, If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and what is more, you will be a man, my son. In other words, you know, have your own personal integrity. You know, Jesus maintained that, and he wouldn't be disrespected by those who didn't admire him, nor would he be swayed by those who did. All people were welcomed. It was about relationship and not rules, and it was not about favor or disfavor. It was about sincerity. You know, I I love the statue of Jesus with the open arms. You know, that's what he wants. He wants all people to come, all people to be saved. He says, come to me if you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my ways are easy and my burden is light, and you will find rest for your souls. That's what God wants, and that's what he invites you to. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for not being dissuaded. We thank you for allowing and demanding that all people have equal access. We thank you that worship is about relationship and not rules and not ritual, not preference. And we thank you, Lord, that 
It's not a popularity contest. It's, it's just about the purpose that, that you accepted for yourself and that you want us to also accept as our purpose, to bring people to the knowledge of salvation. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for that great uh, favor and that understanding that you have brought upon us in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.